A picture is worth, yep, a thousand words. Why do we have phrases like this? Because we all understand the importance of visuals. But when it comes to studying the Bible in context, many of us fail to engage the visual aspects of the stories that we're engaging in. And in this episode, we're gonna talk about how do we do that well, what are phenomenal resources available to us, and show you some killer examples of visuals that help to unlock the Bible for you. So let's dig in to this next part of Lenses of Context. Hey, welcome to the teaching series. I'm Brad Gray and I'm thrilled you're tuning in. You know, the Bible can be difficult to understand, and typically the confusion occurs when we try to read the Bible devoid of its context. Context is everything, and yet the vast majority of people have never been taught how to engage the Bible in its original context of history, geography, cultural backgrounds, and more. At Walking the Text, we create resources to help people understand the Bible in its original context so that they can learn, love, and live it out every day. This podcast is the audio version of our video-based series that you can find at walkingthetext.com or on our YouTube channel at Walking the Text. As you grow in your understanding of biblical context, you'll read the Bible with greater clarity and confidence than ever before. With that in mind, let's jump into our episode. All right, here we go. Part four in our mini-series, Lenses of Context, where we are working through the six lenses of context in order to help us better read and apply God's Word for our lives today. Uh, we are drawing upon the ebook, the number one mistake most everyone makes reading the Bible. So if you're just jumping into the series at this point, this is a free resource, and we are doing an illustrated version of this ebook for this mini series and providing additional examples than what you're gonna find in the ebook. So, all of the examples that I'm going to be talking about today, and the pictures and the artists and all of that can be found here in this ebook. So, we're talking about the text in its original context, and we've looked at historical, we've looked at cultural, we've looked at geographical, and now we are talking about the visual. How do we get into the visual aspects of the Bible to help us better understand what is going on in the particular text or story we are looking at? Uh, I want to look at a quote from Carmine Gallo. He's one of the top communication coaches in the United States, and he writes this in his book, Talk Like Ted. He says, scientists have produced a mountain of evidence showing back concepts presented as pictures instead of words, are more likely to be recalled. Put simply, visuals matter a lot. If you hear information, you're likely to remember about 10% of that information three days later. Add a picture, however, and your recall rate will soar to 65%. To put that in context, a picture will help you remember six times more information than listening to the words alone. Again, as we've already mentioned, a picture is worth a thousand words. But it's not there just to illustrate things faster, it's that it actually lodges it into our long-term memory. Anytime we can take what we are reading and talking about and connect it to visuals, it helps us to remember it longer. But there's another aspect to this that makes visuals really interesting. 
Uh, and this is connected to mirror neurons. And the idea around this is that there were a number of neuroscientists working in the mid-90s to better understand the premotor area of a monkey's cortex. So they put electrodes onto the monkey's brain and they gave the monkey a peanut. And as the monkey was consuming that peanut, a certain part of that monkey's brain was firing. There was a neuron that was firing and that of course made sense to them. What was surprising though, is that when the monkey saw one of the researchers eating a peanut, the same neuron in that monkey's brain fired while he's watching somebody else eat a peanut. It's the idea of these mirror neurons that when we view someone doing something else, the sensation happens inside of us. And when it comes to the human brain and what neuroscientists are saying today is that this is the foundation for empathy. That when we see something in someone else, we begin to embody it ourselves. And so what's so cool about this is that when we are reading a biblical passage, being able to see a location, to engage in the visuals, isn't just, oh, this is helpful information, it's going to help me to remember it longer. It actually does something to us, and we are able to empathetically get into a biblical story just through the use of visuals. And so I just want to walk you through ways in which you can experience this as it relates to the biblical story. So the first is photos. Uh, this would be a no-brainer to us all. Can we obtain pictures of whatever aspect of the Bible that we are looking at? But this one kind of gives us a look at where the Ela Valley is. And the Ela Valley is where David fought Goliath. So let me show you that Ela Valley. It allows you just to see the story. The Israelites are along this edge of the valley. The Philistines are along the edge of this valley. And Goliath is coming out and shouting to the Israelites. Just having an idea of, oh, this is the location. This is a real story. It really happened. Just allows you to imagine what's going on with the banter of Goliath to the Israelites and ultimately the battle between David and Goliath. Uh, here is a photo of the Temple Mount today. When you look at it, you can go, wow, that looks really big. It is. Uh, you can put roughly 28 football fields up here talking about with the end zones and you go, okay, that is a big landmass that was known as the temple and it just allows you to get a better idea of what was going on in Jerusalem with even this modern day photo. Uh, if you go along the Temple Mount, uh, you will see that you have all of these enormous stones that the Romans threw down in 70 AD when they were taking out the temple. And on one particular occasion, the disciples are looking up at the stones and they say, what big stones these are? And then Jesus responds to that. And when you just go, okay, well, yes, these are some really big stones. You can see this group over here. They're being dwarfed by these monster stones. And Jesus is like, one stone won't be left on top of another. Uh, it just helps you to illustrate that moment. Uh, you have the whole scene at 
the Rolling Stone tomb. And just to be able to imagine Mary showing up at the tomb or Peter and John showing up at the tomb and just going through that entrance and just experiencing the fact that Jesus was not there. Just knowing what it looks like to see a first century tomb with a rolling stone helps you to imagine what those moments were like. Uh, This is a photo of the synagogue in Capernaum. This is home base for Jesus's ministry. More stories happen here in Capernaum than any other place up in the Galilee where 90% of Jesus's ministry is happening. Now, this synagogue dates to a little bit of a later time period, but it just gives you a visual for these stories that take place in the synagogue. Uh, This is a Nubian ibex, and Habakkuk, the very last verse of Habakkuk, says, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He allows me to tread upon the heights. And you go, there is my visual. The Nubian ibex has this cloven hoof, and it has this amazing dexterity and adaptability that it literally walks across a cliff face, and if it slips two inches, it plummets to its death, and yet it does it without any second thought because God has gifted it with amazing feet. And Habakkuk says, I want those kind of feet. That regardless of what happens in life, whether I'm on the highest of highs or lowest of lows, God, if you give me feet, I can navigate that path. This visual helps you to understand what Habakkuk is getting at. Uh, Here is a photo of the Italia Harbor right here. This is where Paul sailed out of at the end of his first missionary journey. He may have actually sailed in here as well. It just says he went to Perga. This is one of the harbors that would get you to Perga. But at least Paul leaving here and just imagining what was Paul and Barnabas thinking after they had gone through this entire first missionary journey. And now from here, they're setting sail to go back to Seleucia, the port city of Syrian Antioch, which was home base for their ministry at that time. Here is a photo of the Dead Sea, and when you go down to the Dead Sea, you can literally pull the salt right out from the Dead Sea, and you go, okay, well, if the most bodies of water are between 3 and 6% salt, and the Dead Sea is 35% salt, well, then, yeah, you literally float on top of the surface. And, and you're looking at that, and it's like your body goes, I, I, I'm imagining what it's like to hover on top of water. Exactly, the mirror neurons are firing right now for you, and it just gives you an idea of what it was like to be around the Dead Sea. So there are pictures, and there are amazing photographers, BiblePlaces.com, Todd Bolin, and the work he's doing, absolutely fantastic. All in the ebook will also be available under this video um, on our site. But photos are a great place in order to see those visuals. Another great thing, and this has risen in the last few years, is drone footage. Lots of people are starting to bring about drone footage of these various areas. So rather than just seeing a picture, you can see a video. Um, Here is some footage that we actually took in the Negev Desert. You see this flock right here on this hill. This is the environment where David composed Psalm 23. Like if you want to know what it's like to be a shepherd of sheep and goats, this is the environment where sheep and goats thrive. It's not just lush green grass as maybe many of us would envision. And this gives you an idea of what it's like to be in the Negev Desert. 
Uh, here is a drone footage of being on the Sea of Galilee. So it sits 700 feet below sea level, and the Sea of Galilee is like within a bowl. You can see all of these hills going around, and you go, it's not that big. It's not. It's about 12 to 13 miles from north and south to seven and a half miles east and west. And you go, it's not that big. Exactly, because it's in a bowl shape, you can get storms happening quickly on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, here is a, another really great set of drone footage in connection to John Delancey and the work that he's doing. And this is of the Mount of Beatitudes. So you're looking out onto the Sea of Galilee, but you can see the mountain of Beatitudes where Jesus most likely did his sermon on the mount. And when you stand here and Jesus is using these illustrations, you literally can look across the Sea of Galilee and go, that's his illustration that he is saying in the Sermon on the Mount because it's all within view. Uh, another fun thing to be able to do is you can utilize Google Earth. And so you can utilize the whole imagery of satellites coming in, getting a feel for this is the area. And then you can just go right into this is where Nazareth is. And so this is from iBibleStock.org. Um, just great work that Andy Cook is doing there. And you go, okay, this is what Nazareth looks like. So lots of drone footage available out there. And then another piece to this are artists' illustrations. This is of the synagogue in Gamla, artists' rendering of what um, the temple looked like that Solomon built, or Zerubbabel's temple when it says that the people are weeping because it didn't have the same glory as the temple before, meaning Solomon's temple. And so you have an artist rendering, but then you actually have models as well that you can have pictures of. This is from the Israel Museum of the Temple Mount, and it just gives you a better feel for what it would have looked like. Again, another one just based on an image, this is Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus has a seminal conversation with his disciples, and here's an artist's rendering of what was going on along the wall right over here. And when you have a better understanding of what's going on over here, then Jesus' words take on additional meaning. Uh, here's another one of a gateway into a city to get an idea of, well, this is like the judicial center of the ancient cities. This is where all business of the city, the court was held, the business of what was going on among the citizens was here. Uh, here is a really great artist rendering of perhaps what it would have looked like for Jesus to visit Zacchaeus. He was probably in a very wealthy Roman villa, and here's a wealthy Roman villa. Or even Capernaum as a whole, the center of Jesus's ministry, everything is on top of each other. And there's this story where Jesus is teaching and all of a sudden the roof, like pieces start falling down. And eventually these guys have taken out the roof or a part of the roof and let down a paralytic. Like this is the imagery in which this is taking place to go, wow, this is a communal affair. People are seeing this. Like, how long is Jesus teaching while dirt and stuff is falling on top of him before he acknowledges there's a big hole in the ceiling? This gives you that particular viewpoint. And then this is an illustration that we have used multiple times. Just this is what Ephesus looked like in the first day and even really great renderings that show you, well, if this is the street, then this is what it looked like uh, back in the first century world. And even today, the city of Sardis, which we used in our first episode in this mini series and the artist rendering here, it just allows you to get a picture of what's going on. And then what's really cool is that you even have artists now that are putting this into 3D models 
and then giving you a video view of what a city would look like. And this is of the ancient city of Pergamum, which is referenced as one of the locations for the seven churches in Revelation and understanding what is happening here on the Acropolis and in the city as a whole is the key to unlocking Jesus's words to the church in Pergamum. So between photos and drone footage, video clips, artist renderings, you have the ability to get into these stories and to live into the experiences of the characters that you are reading about. And so questions we want to ask when it comes to the visual lens of context. What did the place look like? Are there photos or videos of the ancient ruins or location? Are there reputable artist illustrations of the story? Because there are some that aren't very reputable that you want to know who those people are. And we've got those listed in the ebook. Uh, what would it have been like to have been there? And that's really the big question is that when you're looking at this, put yourself into the story. What do you see? What do you feel? What's going on around you? And when you are able to get into the story, you can empathetically attach yourself to the story and you will see things and you will have thoughts around, oh, what about this, what about that, that you wouldn't have if you didn't engage the visual aspect of context. So friends, there you go, Lenses of Context, part four. We've got two left. Uh, enjoy, continue to dig in, get into those visuals and see the stories anew to not just better understand the story, but to more faithfully walk it out. So friends, as always, thanks for watching, thanks for listening, and may you walk out the text well in your life.